what's really happening in the crypto markets? What does the current reset tell us about the market in general? What impact did the Bitcoin cash fork have? And how big a part is regulation or lack of it playing in the space? Everyone's got an opinion. And that's true of today's guest, the one and only Oz Sultan. His well-reasoned thinking will give you perspective on the state of the markets. Yes, we seek to equip you with the most current blockchain info to please your ear holes. Thanks for inviting us up in there. We're like a Q-tip and we'll stop when we feel resistance because we are the resistance. It's the Bitcoin Cash Screws Everything Up Again, episode number 215 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. This is the show for those who are curious about crypto, those who are serious about crypto, and those that are any other adjective. Is that an adjective or an adverb? What is curious? I don't know. My parts of speech. Curious would be an adjective. Yeah. Isn't it? Curious about uh, or any adjective crypto. You could be whatever you want. Stinky about crypto. Excited about crypto. You know what other things? Curiosity would be a noun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Cats don't cats don't like that. That's true. My cat right here is rubbing on my leg. He's all like meow. Yeah, meow. We're glad that you're here, as always, and we've got a great show for you today. A friend of the show, Mr. Oz Sultan, is back again. You know, Oz is one smart freaking dude. I won't tell him that to his face because I don't want him to get a big head. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's been in the space, man. He's doing a lot of really cool stuff. And, you know, I mean, from his work with, you know, uh, terrorism, you know, and radical Islam and how he's helped himself, you know, to identify and snuff some of that stuff out and is working with the governments and the stuff that he's doing in blockchain and really cool guy, man. I mean, we've had a chance to meet him a few times. Uh, I think we've met him maybe three times now. And we've had a chance to have him on the show. Is this his third time on the show? I think it is. I think so. I think so. He just keeps coming back for more. He's a yeah. glutton. For He's punishment. actually been on our show more than any other uh, any other of our favorite guests. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, we do have a great interview with him, and we're going to dig into the current crypto crash. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin Cash fork. We're going to discuss his opinion on regulation. And Travis actually thought. <laughs> should have a different name for this episode what did you want to call it yeah bitcoin cash screws us all again pretty much <laughs> well, it should be with oz pretty sultan much. with oz sultan like thanks a <laughs> lot bitcoin cash roger fair settle in for a great conversation here it comes with oz sultan and we're pleased to welcome back a friend of the show one who hasn't gone off the rails and no sign of him doing so that's kind of an inside <laughs> joke <laughs> he is the one the only oz sultan a tech and marketing industry veteran he's got 20 years experience building solutions for brands and fortune 100 companies he's at the forefront of the american muslim affairs as well as diplomatic and interfaith engagement this is a great bio he's a board member on the homeland security foundation of america and he developed a digital anti-isis framework and counter-radicalization and disruption methodology for stopping online 
terror. He's also hip to the cryptos, knows a lot about cyber terrorism, crypto ransom, and uh, in the risks that inevitably, invariably, indubitably are coming our way as a result. Welcome back to Bad Crypto, Mr. Oz, the wizard. Aloha. It's good to see you guys again, or good to talk to you guys again, rather. Are you from Hawaii? No, but you know what? Aloha is the most American greeting we have, so I like using it. What, what about hello or hi? Oh, the Europeans. Oh, the Europeans have hello as well. Or what's that? That's pretty much American. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty, pretty American. That's pretty American. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, joining us again, Oz. And, and we, we actually spoke um, a couple weeks ago, and you said to me privately you felt a 20% um market crash was coming mm-hmm. it did so i blame you well i i would say that there's there's a multitude of well don't blame me exactly but there's a multitude of pressures that we've had bitcoin has gone into if you start looking at the charts and the data and everything behind this bitcoin had gone into a bit of a tranche um we expected it to bottom out inside of uh, November, it did bottom out inside of November. But what we didn't expect was this this Bitcoin cash fork to happen and a hash war to happen subsequently, which then led to a lot of the market panic that I think you're seeing today. I mean, the thing that kind of cracks me up is about a year and a half ago, it was at 20,000 and everyone was screaming that, oh my God, I didn't have a chance to get in when it was really cheap. Well, your chance to get in when it's really cheap is right now. And the opportunity for this to go to 250,000 by, I would say 2024 is still there. What you're looking at is just, you know, the nature of the market in terms of one where the big whales have been going and dumping coin to actually drive prices down for their shorting to um, what we had kind of expected from normal market pressures. And, you know, what's going to happen after we get a strange fork? And and I got to tell you this, the hash war that kind of came out of it, there was a there was a quote. Kevin Rook was talking about the top three dApps in EOS, which has 12,382 users and 1.4 million in daily volume. Tron is 2,578 users and $5.5 million in volume. And Ethereum 2,133 users and $461,000 in in daily transaction volume. Everyone keeps talking about Bitcoin Cash as being kind of the savior currency that we push out to the masses. But I think really what it comes down to is this. If you start getting the DAP adoption, the DAP explosion, that's where your transactions come from. Because it's going to be someone that builds a simpler DAP to get that last mile into mom and pop shops where they're like, okay, I'm fine taking Bitcoin or an altcoin or something like that. And that's where you see the mass proliferation. But no one's done that yet. Can we just call a DAP adoption adaption? We'll call it a, a adaption. Yes. All right, so so I've been doing some thinking about this as well, right? So we know how the ICO market, you know, in, in America, it's tanked because of regu- regulation. And as as we mentioned sort of before the call, you know, this whole ICO market was crazy. It was kind of like 1996. You mentioned, as I said, yeah, we're going to put pants on the blockchain. Well, it's true. There was all these different projects and everybody was throwing Ethereum at all these different ICOs. All these ICOs were then throwing Ethereum back out into the market to get their cash. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin Cash happened, which created all this wealth out of nowhere. 
which then drove the price up because then they were taking that Bitcoin cash money, put it in an altcoins, putting it in Bitcoin, taking it out of Bitcoin, putting it into altcoins. Yep. So we had all this huge ride. Now we don't see all these ICOs happening, right? There's not as many as there were. Well, you and also there's not as much. Trans- I think you just mentioned it. There's not as many transactions overall, so there's nothing really driving the price, nothing really driving the market right now. Is that is that a safe assumption? There, there's been kind of like a, a a multimodal bifurcation of the market. So last year, what we're looking at is you could have any altcoin, or you could have even coins, and they would come in, they would trade, they would get listed. The problem is, is because the value of most of these coins dropped to about zero mid-year. Okay, they they lost all their trading volumes. There's no one interested in in putting DApps on them. There's no one interested in them. I mean, the, the interesting coins right now are the ones that are actually making inroads, like like Clear OS. They're kind of interesting. You you look at Dash and what Dash is doing. They're kind of interesting. But you, you look at a lot of the altcoins that are out there that were supposed to provide disruptive frameworks for X. So, well, let's take a look at Golem. Okay, so Golem had gone from like a $380 million market cap to a $73 million market cap. But this is a project that had raised 8 to $15 million bucks, And two years on, we still don't see a product. Dude, by the way, it it had hit a market cap on January second of nine hundred and sixty five. Yeah, that was my point. My point was like, look at this. It was almost it was almost a billion. It was almost a billion at the beginning of the year. And and the problem is, and and this is my this is my new fortune telling. My new fortune telling is that we have to look to three things that are going to happen next. So we we saw the SEC regs that came out last week, right? And what they said was. For um, I believe it was Airfox and um, and Paragon had settlements, right? And so now what we're looking at is all of your new ICOs are probably going to be in the United States, are going to be a Reg D or a Reg S convertible security, meaning that there's a whole bunch of new ways for for the, these things to get capitalized. But if we look at everything that's going on overseas, there's still a mixture of security token and utility token. I think the utility token model is really going to be driven by what um, data, you know, Jill Richmond and um, and company have been doing, um, which is passing laws in states out West and, and, and ostensibly pushing for something that could be kind of like a national mandate. But what they did was they defined something called a consumer token. Right. So now we have a security token in the state of Wyoming that's legal. We also have this thing called a consumer token that's legal in the state of Wyoming. And ostensibly what data is doing and working with some other state governments, you're going to see Nevada and Florida and Delaware and, you know, maybe potentially California longer term jump into the mix and say, hey, you know, we see the opportunity for this. We see the opportunity for the blockchain Um, because I'll give you an example. I spoke in India about three months ago. And the state of Telangana took the blockchain and utilized it to give land ownership title to people that had never had land ownership title. The only thing that they had giving them legitimacy over the property that they lived in is the fact that their family might have lived in that property for like 100 or 200 years. And this is a bigger problem that we have in kind of developing and emerging countries where, where the blockchain has direct applicability. And I also think that that kind of direct applicability cascades back to the United States in terms of things that we could drop in place that 
make things lower cost and more useful and have better use cases for the blockchain than you know my joke of like in 1996 people were trying to put pants on the internet i mean i've seen some pretty bad blockchain ideas uh about akin to putting pants on the internet but except it was like pants on the blockchain we're trying to put pants on joel he's always doing these podcasts with no pants on yeah, awkward i'm in my boxers <laughs> it's true it could be you pants on joel box the joel chain blockchain. Okay, so I'd like you to know your proof of work, sir. Yeah, you're talking about <laughs> this, your new predictions and how this is being approached. Obviously, the media hype drove a lot of what happened last year. I would contend that it can't happen like that again because you know people, too many people oh, got no, it's, burned. It's going to happen again, and the reason it's going to happen is that we're almost at the 36 month timeline where all of the ICOs that got their money in 16 and 17 are going to start running out. 24 to 36 months is typically, if they haven't produced anything, they're going to run out of money. And my prediction is that starting probably somewhere between March and July, you're going to see some of the bigger dogs falling. I'm not going to say who, um, but you're going to see some bigger names falling simply because they don't have any deployed tech. And if you've raised 40 million, 50 million, 100 million, and you're just burning that cash, people are eventually going to ask, where's the beef? You know, but, but that's uh, negative. How is that going to drive media hype? That sounds like a bad thing. The media hype that, that we're seeing is, is, is conditionally and, and unilaterally the nonsense that we saw around Brock, right? Every single time that the media gets a new industry, they, they like to make fun of us. If you look back to what happened during the first internet boom, they spent about three years making fun of the internet, you know, but also... And Jeff Bezos, and yeah. right. I mean, they, they just make fun of everyone. When it becomes a legitimized industry, all of a sudden they're kissing ass. And so we're going to see the same cycle with, you know, I mean, it, Trump talks about fake news. I talk about fake crypto news because half of the stuff out there is paid placement that someone paid a Bitcoin for, or I don't know, however many thousand Ethereum you'd have to give them now. But most of the stuff is paid placement and there, there isn't really real news about things. I mean, there was an article that was dropped into one of the women's blockchain groups, um, you know, like two Fridays ago talking about how just talking all of this smack on bitcoin um and then you read the entire article and you see who funded it and where their skew and slant comes from i mean the same type of nonsense that we saw in the political arena with you know this think tank funded this and this think tank funded this and this pack paid for this is the same type of nonsense that we're seeing inside of the bitcoin arena in the altcoin arena, simply with people just kind of trying to lobby their coins. And, and I'm telling you that next year is going to be defined by either multiple tokens taking the lead. I mean, and in my, my mind, this is NEO kind of starts driving a big APAC push. EOS starts to come into the wallets of kids and communities. And either Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum make that jump. Or what we're going to see is we're going to see secondary tokens kind of come up and become far more useful. You know, Dash is now ostensibly probably about, I don't know, like somewhere between uh, a eighth and a quarter of all of the transactions in Venezuela right now. You know, when you had emerging market crashes, like in Turkey, you had people hoarding Bitcoin. 
And then you have Bitcoin black markets. You know, Bitcoin might be $3,500 here, but on the black market in Iran, it's selling for close to 15000 so there's there's now what we're we're dealing with is global market pressures coming into the arena in addition to what we're going to be dealing with inside of our our own markets and exchanges on top of that coupled with the nonsense that's coming from paid media and the fact that these some of these companies are going to run out of money and when they start running out of money I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a panic or if they're just going to make fun of us because you know the media has the the tendency to do both. But I do think that somewhere between Q1 and Q2 of next year, we're ripe for that. And after that correction, I'll tell you what, you've had pretty much all the corrections that you need to see. That's pushing us into a growth period. Um, the only other thing that could really be detrimental to this community and I would say the Bitcoin economy is that all of the economists that I've been talking to as well as most of the economists I think that you read are talking about 2019, 2020, there should be a full market correction, like a Black Friday type market correction. Now, that would be, if we're saying something of that level, I'd say, okay, then you're talking not a 10% correction because we've had that to the stock market. We're talking like a 20% correction to the stock market. That kind of deflationary pressure on the the overall economy of not just the United States, but link global economies would have a cascading deflationary pressure on Bitcoin as well. So I think those are kind of the two events that we should be looking to handle or manage inside of the, the coming year. You know, another thing that, that it seems like is that, so maybe some company raised $50 million, but if they held that crypto, they maybe have already ran out of money. Right, because with the market tanking, if they were getting Ethereum at a thousand dollars, and here we are at a hundred dollars, you know their their fifty million dollar coffer might be five million dollars, and they've ran out of money already. Look, which I have friends that that did consulting work and got paid in Ethereum and left it there because they forgot about it, and they're like, well, you know, I had thirty thousand dollars in Ethereum, but now I have three thousand, so. Right. I mean, I didn't really have any other. You know, there, there's more people hodling than you would think, simply because they, the option is what cash it out at 150 bucks. You know, I don't think that's an option for a lot of people. And and so, you know, what's interesting about crypto is is that you're not getting the run in the banks that you got with cash because cash has a continual perception of value at a certain level inside of the market that you're in, or at least here. I mean, we don't have the kind of inflation. Uh, or deflation that you've seen in Venezuela or Israel or India or you know anywhere else in, in the past 20 years, but what we what we do have is is that kind of that kind of challenge of like what the hell do you do with it? And I think people are just going to huddle because the option is well, there's only one way it can go, and it can go up. And if I liquidate now, I'll kick myself later. And I've already taken, you know, they've already taken the write downs. What's going to be interesting, too, is is what the tax implications are for this, because there's a lot of people that made a lot of money this year and then just took a massive hit, you know, when their crypto portfolios deflated. And I think that could be, you know, again, I think that's that's probably the only upside to what we're talking about right now. How is that an upside? Well, if you can take a tax write down, that's an upside. Oh, I, I suppose so. So let's talk a little bit about what contributed to causing this, the uh, the Bitcoin Cash unexpected fork debacle. Uh, go ahead and explain what happened and, and what you think is still happening. 
I'll, I'll, I'll look at it this way. Um, we expected we expected the market reset, and I, I talked to you about that offline. We had a 20% market reset, and then what we saw was, oh, we're dealing with a, a, a Bitcoin fork for, with, with BCH going to BCC. Nobody had enough information about it. Nobody quite understood what was going on. And what it looks like, it, you know, in between – you had posted this a couple months ago on the Bad Crypto Podcast after – the World Blockchain Summit in – I'm always screwing these up because there's too many world ones. But the one in um, in Vegas where you know you, you literally had Bitcoin leaders having it out on stage. Well, that's what's happened inside of the past week. And we've seen you know a mix of folks from Roger Ver onwards mixed inside of this huge like basically hash battle. And the hash battle was, you know, the, the goal consistently with these guys is to take a centralized mindset and inside of a decentralized world and say, I am king. And there is no king. And I think these people need to start realizing that there is adoption and utilization or there's not. And what they've done is they've started pushing, you know, they took a platform that was ostensibly very popular, very used, that had a tremendous amount of fungibility across the world i mean every day you would see you know new bitcoin cash places popping up a new cafe in romania a new place in azerbaijan someplace in in south america um a place in venezuela that didn't have to you know take 10 pounds worth of their notes for one chicken but i think what, what's happened right now is you you've left the bad flavor in three different groups of people's mouths the consumers that we're getting into this market right now just know that whatever they were buying into has had a, a straight deflation and they're trying to understand you know currency volatility and they're pissed you've got the miners i mean look i i was talking to a friend of mine and she was telling me that the chinese right now are wholesaling their old machines um by the pound okay so they're, they're basically taking the last generation of chipsets and they're just off they're offloading all these things by the pounds so instead of like paying for the whole machine it's like yeah you have 200 pounds worth of machines it's x so there's been a big impact to the miners and then, and then third you've seen the overall impact i think to the community because this stupid hash war didn't really lead anywhere you know no one won and and I think that these Pyrrhic victories that we have, these big egos playing for inside of the market on a continual basis is something that in 2019 and 2020, we need to we need to look to to potentially have alternatives for. And I think the alternatives for are people moving to currencies that for them are are more um preferable you know eos has a whole voting issue that's coming up right now um that they're starting to address there's a good medium post about that um that i can share the link for um neo is finally coming into prime time in terms of utilization from its dap i, I would say it's 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 dap ecosystem and you know i would say dash and gochain um are uh, also platforms that again people are looking to build products that you can actually transact on this is the kind of leadership that we need right now we don't need people being petulant and throwing tantrums and and you know creating this kind of discord in the community because i'll tell you what at the end of the day and then this goes back to what i said about you know 
Brock and, and them treating us like the new kids on the block in 1996. Every single time that the media has an opportunity to make fun of us based upon some misstep that's that's happened internally to the industry, they do. And if you look at the way that Bloomberg and most of the the, the traditional financial press are writing about us, first of all, they don't understand Bitcoin from Shinola. Okay. But secondarily, they don't understand the blockchain technologies, nor do they understand the utility and practical applicability of all of these technologies to revolutionize and disrupt the way that we actually transact money. And we do inter, I would call it um, inter-country exchanges. Like the, the most expensive thing in the world right now is if you are in the United States and you're in country A and you sell your products to country B, C, and D, because you have to do currency exchange when you get all your stuff back and you're losing like 20 to 30% of what your potential profitability could be there. Moving into those types of sectors, taking the whole concept of the blockchain, the way that it was supposed to be implemented and utilizing that on a core set of platforms that are built towards those kind of protocol ends are really what's going to drive this community. And it's, it's going to build us well into the twenties and it's going to make us incredibly successful. But until we get that kind of maturity just hopping in, you know, we're going to be cannon fodder for for mainstream media to make fun of us. It's a crazy space out there. I mean, we, we know this, man. Crypto goes up, crypto goes down. But it's really, it's a matter of, are people executing on the promise of what they said they were going to do? We're going to start seeing a lot more of that here coming up. So I'm actually curious, because you, you mentioned a few. You mentioned, you know, we had GoChain on uh, the show Tell us more, like, what is it about GoChain that you think that you find that that seems like um, it could be a, a viable platform? I'm a big fan of GoChain. Um, I've had friends of mine come, who, so I've spent about a year and a half in the gaming industry. And I got to tell you that gaming is like the next untapped, like, like if, if you were to say like, oh, wow, look, here's this huge gold mine we didn't know. Gaming, um, the voice space. Uh, and then yeah, I would say VR, AR gaming are, are, are kind of like the next generation that we could go into with, with the blockchain in terms of like creating, you know, financially viable dApps. But what I like about GoChain is three things. One is it has high transaction throughput. And what we see traditionally with the limitations of Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash even is that there's there's a throughput challenge there, right? The Lightning Network has the ostensible opportunity for us to turn Bitcoin into something more. But then the problem that we have is, is that the people that can actually hold transactions in escrow almost, I mean, I'm trying to think the easiest technical way to explain this, but people can use the Lightning Network as a bank if they wanted to. Um, and that's, I think, the worry of the Lightning Network, not that it's actually adding a layer. So, uh, you know, GoChain has, in, in my mind, many of the different layer pieces that you actually need to have uh, a, a very fast, very functional ecosystem. You need a fast backbone. That's one. You need to have ease of accessibility by developers to build upon your platform. That's two. You need to have a set of just baseline applications and acceptability by different organizations um, that all start looking at this as kind of a, a standard for them. They've got that. And four, you need to have like, I just want to say they, they have like super popular leadership. 
and popular in the sense of people that are optimistic, that make small promises, that over-deliver in their promises, and are continually looking to to deploy something that can become better because we don't know what the the end game is going to be for this stuff. Like you could have you could have countries building DApps on this kind of stuff and utilizing it in in ways that you know it was an Ethereum blockchain system that they dropped in under or in um Telangana in India, but you've got other systems and 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 situations like that that are rolling out. Like my my buddy Charles Hope in New York is building an Ethereum bond platform. You take a look at Alpha Point. I was talking to those guys a couple of weeks ago, and they were working with the 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 Central Bank of Australia. I may screw up the name, but it was the Australian banking system, and they were issuing Ethereum bonds on on Microsoft. Uh, it's Ethereum for Microsoft Azure Cloud, right? So, like what what we're seeing is with with the the whole go chain paradigm is where are there other people inside of the industry that are executing with those criteria that you have a fast backbone that you have really good developer support that you have reasonable protocol acceptability and that you have people actually building the use cases and I'll tell you you've got go chain you've got dash um, you do have ethereum you do have eos you do have neo and then you've got the exotics. You know, the exotics are going into bonds, going into munis, going into all of these traditional fiduciary instruments um, that are now finding themselves slowly coming over to the blockchain. Hmm. There, the, well, there's one more item that is causing the markets to be questionable, and that is the regulation. And so where are we at with the SEC and ICOs and how that's impacting the market? So the SEC had the SEC came down. Um, they came down on Airfox and Paragon, and both of them had um, settlements. And what the settlements involved, if you aren't like me and read all this stuff, is that there were material changes to the governance of the ecosystem. Right. So what they did was they made them pay back a bit. Um, there were also some fines and there were some smacks in the hands. What we're going to be looking at is is a couple of challenges. That'll take us into 2019. One is there's supposed to be another SEC uh, indication or edict that comes down sometime in December. And I think that's going to set the tone and stage for where we are in 2019. Two is that we're aware that there's a number of prosecutions that are coming forward from the Department of Justice on a number of ICOs that had, you know, just done things improperly. And three, um, there's the whole challenge of should you have done a security token when you did a utility token, right? There's there's that whole challenge. So I'll put it to you this way. If you had an ICO and you kind of look like Air Fox, you might want to evaluate yourself and get legal counsel. What, 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 what um, were the, the characteristics of that? The characteristics were a misrepresentation of a security. And in, in Air Fox's case, a lot of what they did was they they started talking about in, in in any case it's this okay if you work in the financial markets like I do the one thing that you can never do is say something like and we guarantee X will go to Y within Z period of time because you're giving a guarantee of profitability which is kind of you know it's 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 kind of like selling snake oil. Um, 
and and the government doesn't like that and and so what air fox was doing was a little bit of that and then then what they were also doing was the way that they had structured their tokens was a little bit nebulous um and third you know i think was just a bunch of transparency problems that they had and so you kind of couple all of those things together and what the sec likes to do is look at general cases make an example and then use that to lead inside of of the industry so i think there's going to be there's going to be a number of additional um you know sec injunctions and or cases coming forward inside of the q1 q2 um what we're also going to be looking at is you know just the challenges that you have of regulation inside of this market and how the proliferation of capital and ICOs comes because right now, like you said, we don't have ICOs running around the the United States and pitching. Where we do have ICOs running around and pitching is Hong Kong, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Dubai. Okay, you have plenty of them out there. However, I mean the numbers that I've looked at and the ICOs that I've looked at are, are significantly different. They're not asking for Western numbers, and when I say Western numbers, there's a perspective there that they can do stuff with two to eight million, you know, that I think a lot of us here were looking, oh, well, for, for that kind of budget, we'd probably need to do something like eight to 25 million because, you know, they've, they've a, a difference in terms of just the economic leverage they, they, they can execute over there. You don't have to pay people the same rates that you pay here, but they're also able to get more and do more. And, you know, I also think we're moving towards strong blockchain solutions i'll give you an example there's a company we're uh involved with called mefi so mefi is trying to take telemedicine to the next step and inside of india they have a 90,000 villages program that was wired into their it infrastructure and started a couple of years ago and the whole idea was how do you take these villages and like dead ass villages like this is like going to the middle of west virginia in appalachia and talk that's a village it's that kind of desolation in terms of the fact that many of these places are like an hour from any kind of major intersection or thoroughfare you know you'd have to like take a donkey to get to a train to get to a major city and so the question is is how do you bring medicine in because in in most of these places you don't have a doctor you don't have a clinic someone gets sick it's two hours to get anywhere and they've got this solution that involves everything from backpack clinics to full clinics that can be deployed at scale with relatively low cost. And what they're looking to do is to disintermediate that last mile in terms of medical servicing, not just in India, but in a lot of emerging countries going into Southeast Asia and into Africa. So you you look at something like that and you think about what the impact of something like that is, is you have a company that could you know, now is looking for like two to five, literally they're looking for two to five million. We help put a bit in and, and, you know, we're, we're trying to, to help them with some raising right now. But the end goal of this is that you could be looking at a company within five to six years that has a market capitalization of somewhere close to a billion, right? These, these I think are the big ideas that are coming out of the blockchain space right now. You also have this company called Buff, um, from Israel that I saw the other day. And I love their CEO. I have to tell you that their product is too goddamn complicated to explain to most investors. But in a nutshell, what they're doing is they have taken the concept. Do you, do you guys, did you guys have Xboxes? 
My son has an Xbox. So you you they have the Xbox 360 to the original Xbox. Well, you remember Xbox points, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So the problem that you've had in the gaming universe to date is that you can accumulate points here, but it's only good for these games and it's only good on this platform. Well, what Buff does is it runs a lightweight interface on mobile and PC for now, but they've already got partnerships with Fortnite and a bunch of other other companies such that if you play and you earn the Buff tokens, you can redeem those tokens to purchase skins, dances, excuse me, and buffs, as they were originally called, which were like the perks, for up to 25% less than what they would retail for inside of the virtual store. So one, you're getting a discount. Two, you're getting tokens for just doing whatever you're doing anyways. And three, you're generating value. But if you kind of consider where that could go, this is another one that, again, they're looking for $2 million right now. Um, we're, we started talking to them. But they're, they're, they could connect all of the global ecosystems of gaming all together with a point program. And it could become like – you remember the Plenty card that was supposed to like integrate all of our point programs, and it never did? It, this actually does it. Interesting. Lots of changes. I want to ask you a question, uh, Oz, about how you research this stuff because you were saying some things early on about, oh, well, I was looking at their, you know, their activity and their amount of transactions per, and I'm looking at this and looking at that. You know, I've looked at Blocktivity, you know, dot info in the past, and I see right now that Wax has, you know, five million eight hundred thousand transactions in the last twenty four hours, and it's using point four eight percent of its. You know, it's a uh, it's capacity, wax, right? It's wax, uh, capacity. Wax, is a, wax is a great platform, but yeah, there's some interesting ones in here. I'm looking in here. You know, Tron is up in here. EOS is up here. Bitcoin is at seven. It has six hundred and fifty-two thousand transactions in the last twenty-four hours, but it's sitting at a hundred percent of its capacity right now. Utilization. Ethereum, same thing. Five hundred and fifty thousand transactions. It's sitting at a hundred percent of utilization. Where do you go? And what inside the mind of Oz, how do you go and research this stuff? You know, are there specific tools? Are there specific sites that you go to get certain data that you look at? What is the data points that you look at when you're doing in when you're trying to gain insights into some of these platforms? Um, well, I mean, we're a little unique in the sense that I have tech resources. That, so one is I work with one of my CTOs and, you know, I can actually we'll just sit there and we'll look at things. Two is that I've been through multiple token generation events, so I can tell you where the pain points are. Uh, like uh, generating an Ethereum token can take a month and a half, depending on the complexity of the smart contracts and, and the, the token generation events that have to occur. So, you know, I also look at that as well. It's, it's uh, part of this is experience in the complexity of actually executing one of these projects. And I've executed a couple. Two is actually looking at, you know, the benchmarks of what people are creating in terms of dApps because there's two things you can look at blocktivity you could also look at what is the fastest dApp and most throughput focused dApp on that network and how is it performing right so in, in a lot of cases what i do is i look at u- practical use cases in terms of applications that are on those networks um the third thing i do is i look at online sentiment and sentiment analysis so there's a number of tools that i use to look at both social media um, from the traditional perspective of Facebook, Twitter, but I also look at Mastodon, um, and then I look at Telegram. Like I'll hop in and out of Telegram channels and kind of analyze things, uh, or I'll have one of our analysts do it. 
and then I would say the third thing is is that you you have to look at the fiscal health um, and leadership of these projects. Uh, the last, you know, in in investing, what the adage is is that you're investing in the team. You're not investing in the technology per se. I kind of think that you're investing in both. And in in addition to investing in both, you kind of have to have an understanding of what makes the most sense, not just from the perspective of where this company is going, but do they actually have the the runway and the headspace and the thought leadership to get them there? And I'll tell you, in, in many cases, there's a lot of companies that, look, we're all about social good, okay? But there's a lot of companies that are trying to do a bunch of altruistic things that are detractors from from the actual mission-critical aspects of getting a product out and, and launching a product. So a, a lot of, you know, what, what we'll continue to do is there's there's enough in terms of blogs that can be researched out there on any specific project to just kind of get a general indication of where they're going. And I will also tell you this, being friends with a lot of folks in the community on Facebook is a fantastic way to kind of get updates because everyone in the community is super big on pushing out anything that happened to them as soon as possible before it hits any other news. We kind of go through all of those channels and then we'll do kind of, I mean, there's, we'll do a financial deep dive that's, you know, kind of like like forensic analysis in certain cases. And then we make decisions. And from my perspective right now, you know, a lot of what I'm looking to do is to understand these markets better and train AIs and, you know, talk to our, our folks that are, are working in different pieces of this to figure out how we can actually operate um, kind of like the traditional market. I guess, funds inside of, you know, the new crypto space, because, you know, myself, my business partner, Joel Emery, a bunch of folks um, that I'm working on, or, or sorry, working with you guys, you know, we've all hitched our wagon um, to this Chris Snook, you know, who I'm going to be writing on uh, the, the um, World Tokenomic Forum and and also the token standard with my co-author of uh, of Digital Sense. Very cool. We're going to be we're going to be co-authors in law. This is awesome. We're going to be like, we're going to be like, like weird relatives. It's like, yeah, it's like pass the turkey. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's like everyone, like you guys, us, we've all hitched our stars to this. Why? Because like 1996, we see this as not just the future of money, but we see this as the future of, of basically providing immutable records for freaking everything and simplifying transactions and eliminating middlemen and, and just, you know, kind of making the world a better place, but also a simpler place. Um, but I'm going to tell you that the, the next two years, these are going to be the battles that they talk about in 2030, 2040 of, you know, how this market came to be. And, and right now it is the dead ass Wild West. This is 1850 and the banks are fighting. Lots of good stuff there, Mr. Oz Sultan, bad crypto correspondent. I think we can call you that now. You've been here enough and, and uh, you'll be back. You'll be back. I will be back, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you, uh, everyone in the bad crypto ecosystem. Stay bad. The great and powerful Oz has spoken. That's what's so great is he's a wizard and a sultan. Like, that's like a combination. Like, you know, uh, he's like the king of India. Isn't that what a sultan is? Like, were they like kings? And, and then he's a wizard. So that's pretty solid. I wonder, I wonder if he does sultany things. You know, like, does he cross his arms, you know, and, and nod his head? You know, like, or that's the genie. That's, that's a genie. a genie. Yeah. Sultan. Well, 
Like, what, what is a sultan? Actually, sultan of swing. He could. So a sultan is a Muslim sovereign, like the sultan of Turkey. Hmm. He's like, yeah, meaning strength, authority, rulership. Well, he is kind of a badass, so we appreciate that. Thanks, Oz. You're welcome back anytime. And we love hearing from you guys. And as promised, we've got some reviews to read you from. Uh, this is from the U.S. version of iTunes. Uh, a guy with the username Leo Wolf 88 His subject is I am John McAfee. And I promise not to grab your bleep. Love that guy. So the <laughs> I don't know how that's a review of the show, but. There's that. That is a review of the show, technically. Yeah, that's that. I mean, he posted his review. Yeah, I am John McAfee by Leo Wolf eighty eight. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, John, know. John's I'm, going I'm, by pseudonyms. That's good. A little bit of humor makes the medicine go down. From Ether Eric, sophomore humor, blockchain boobs. Okay, not boobs, but still worthy of your time in this changing of the fabric of society. If blockchain is the future, and it seems to be. At least be entertained while you learn about it. Thank you, Ether Eric. Very nice. Yeah. I'm going to have to go listen to a show that's entertaining because this one just kind of... Sophomoric. I prefer juniorific. Are there any other entertaining blockchain shows? I think the guys that are doing Wild West Crypto, they want to have us on uh, their show. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're true cowboys, right? They wear their cowboy hats mm-hmm. and, and they're like, crypto is here, the wild, wild west. Giddy up there, little fellas. Yes, they got a nice little stick. Didn't they listen to the show originally and then like we inspire them? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, heard, I think we did. Had somebody, a couple of folks have said that we've inspired them to do podcasts, which is great. Yeah, we need more competition. Thanks. No, they're like, oh my gosh, if, if these clowns can do it, anybody right. can. That's exactly what it is. Like these jerk-offs, what the hell they do? What the hell they know? They don't know that nothing is... about this crypto. All they know is stuff about marketing and, and the future and technology. They don't know nothing about no blockchain. Oh, hey, I got something exciting. Um, you and I have both been invited to write for the finance section of Newsmax.com. And my first article has posted, it's called Why It's Still So Hard to Build a Balanced Crypto Portfolio. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes so you guys can check it out. We do love uh, contributing to other publications that will have us. That is true. Why it's so hard to build a balanced crypto portfolio. If you just type in Newsmax, Joel Com in Google, it will pop up. I don't know if it does on DuckDuckGo. I assume it does. Yeah, we, don't, we don't like to Google anymore. We have to like... I, it really is my goal, Travis. I, I mentioned this before. I want to get off as much Google property as I can in 2019, which means moving two email accounts that are just mine, not counting the mm-hmm. Bad Crypto Podcast Gmail account, mm-hmm. uh, to a secure mail, which um, you know that is encrypted and that is mm-hmm. going to be two uh, FA, you know, unhackable, and that means getting all our documents onto another service. Because I am convinced that Google is just become tremendously evil. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't use the search engine. I either DuckDuckGo or I Bing. Very nice. Actually, there was an article on there that I just I, I read earlier today. I was going to send it over to you, but but it's completely obvious. But it was talking about how they had massive internal debates and all the threads and their conversations were, have been released about how they wanted to eliminate any conservatives from their from their search rankings any conservative publications any conservatives because they can't have conservative news opposing news uh, be available to the people when it comes election time next time 
So they and want that basically tells you, eliminate. Yeah. That tells you right there how weak your position must be if your move is to eliminate those who think differently than you. Whatever else you want to believe, you know, uh, that to me is incredibly telling. So screw those guys. Oh, I, I'm with you, man. It's like I, I've always said I've always thought that I was, you know what, when I was growing up. I voted Democrat. I've always been a liberal. And then I started diving into some of the things and I'm going, wait a second. Some of the stuff does warning, not make sense to me. Warning, 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 red well, alert, red alert, that, entering the no, politics zone. No, it's just like this is like I don't care if you think left or think right or vote right or vote left or a Democrat or a liberal or, or conservative. I don't care. You you need to be able to speak your voice. Like that's like when you cut out someone's tongue, that means you're scared of what they have to say. Not that you're trying to silence them because they're bad. It's because you don't want anybody to think what they're saying. And so you cut out their tongue. And uh, somebody else said that way back in the day. If you, you're scared of someone, you cut I think Mark Twain said that. I don't know. But that's what's happening today when 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 conservatives are being you know eliminated. And I don't even consider myself a conservative. I'm kind of I'm, I'm pretty much right in the middle. You're more. I would say more of a libertarian. Yeah, probably more of a libertarian. I'm a, I'm a libertarian. Yeah, you know, I heard that actually Google is going to back off of this. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. Ah, uh, no matter what, we are just two dudes talking crypto and politics. Two dudes talking crypto. Joel and Travis <laughs> are just two dudes talking crypto. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> If you're and still with us, people sometimes with politics. Yeah, well, if you guys are still with us and you get us and you're a free thinker and you have an open mind and that's what we're, you know, we we want an audience that wants to engage with us because this is just this is who we are. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We would love to read your funny what? Yeah, reviews. Speaking of reviews, like the only bad reviews we've had on on like iTunes is because people who got mad at us about politics. Yeah, how dare how dare you guys say something on your show? That's just I yeah, I disagree. I'm offended, Travis. Mm-hmm. I'm offended. You offended me, Travis. That's okay. You can screech to the sky, brother. I'm and a- while you're doing it, feel free to stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.